So I worked, all, you know, all, oh gosh, when they were in town, I worked every game. So I was all of a sudden almost working full time at 14 years old. So when I started, I was 14 and I worked there until I was 21 years old. And the really neat thing about that is I got a chance to work in every department of the Mariners and also helped open Safeco Field. So I got this like incredible experience in business when I was like, I, sh- I had no bit, you know, I was too young to do anything. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 185 of the Kamena Voice. Today, I speak with the CEO of Weekdays. Please welcome Shauna Kazi. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Kamena Voice podcast, where I interview local business owners, comedians, singers, and more. I dive into their backstory to find out how they got where they are, what are some of the tips for you to do the same, and find out where they are going. Tune in every week as I interview more of the people you see every day. Hey, Aliens, and welcome to another episode of the Commando Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. I uh, hope you guys are having a good week um, over this last week. Uh, what happened? Oh, Taylor Swift was in town, so any of the people that went out to that, uh, congratulations on getting a ticket or, or being outside of the stadium. There was a massive amount of people that were waiting outside of the stadium, which was pretty funny. Um, I was not down there, but I know people that were. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, before I jump into everything, um, we do have Kids Fest coming up this weekend. Uh, so that's July 29th. So, of course, this is not this is very timely, so if you hear this episode this week, you'll know. And if not, it doesn't matter. Uh, but Kids Fest is a free kids event we put on here at the Commons. Um, and there's a bunch of free kid activities out there. And, um, yeah, it's going to be a good time. We're going to be doing tie-dye shirts this year again. Uh, it is from 10 to 2, but just be aware we do typically run out of tie-dye shirts. And, actually, everyone typically runs out of stuff. So try and get there a little bit earlier than, uh, than uh, you know, right near the end. And then we have Imagine Museum coming up, uh, and they're going to be putting on some different events as well. Uh, the the events and tables and stuff that they'll be doing um, will actually be uh, just activities and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a good time, so come on out. Uh, July 29th, that's a Saturday from 10 to 2. All right. Um, well, let's get into this podcast. So this podcast, I interview Shauna Kazi, uh, and, and many of you may remember that uh, I did an event or I did a contractor position earlier this year with Rain, and um, Shauna was actually one of the mentors during that program. So she lives over on Whidbey Island, um, but she has a fascinating background. Um, it's not, I mean, it's probably more common than, than I think, but um, it's not every day you get to meet someone that uh, has worked on the venture side has worked in the startups, you know, venture and startup side, and then worked on the corporate side with like Google, Warner Brothers, Nordstrom, um, and kind of everything in between. Um, and she got her start uh, in business with working with the Mariners, um, which is what you heard in that intro. Um, <clears throat> her actually becoming a ball girl there uh, at the age of 14, uh, and then just kind of continued to climb up the ranks. And so um, pretty cool uh situations that have kind of just happened. And um, yeah, so we get into all sorts of different business things. uh, And honestly, um, we'll probably have her back on the podcast where we get to talk more about business and not just her history, but more business lessons and things that she's learned over her time, uh, because she has a vast knowledge of all of that stuff. Um, And again, it's, it's just, you know, sometimes it's hard to find people that have had such a varied work and life experience. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, you know, in that startup world, it's so different, uh, than, than running kind of your standard small business. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was a really good time. Great time talking with her. Um, and of course we get into weekdays, which she'll, she'll talk about that and what it started as and what it's now evolved into. So, um, we're going to get into all of that and more, uh, this one for those business owners out there, you probably are going to get a lot out of this. So I'm really excited for you guys. Uh, and if you're not a business owner, um, you're still going to get a lot out of this. There's a lot of really cool um, stories that we talk about. And uh, again, just lessons. And really, these lessons can apply to you no matter where you are in, in life, in work, or, or at home. So, all right. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Shauna Kazi. Man of Voice. Today, I'm here with the CEO of Weekdays. Welcome to the podcast, Shauna Kazi. Thanks for having me, Brandon. Yeah. So, so fun before- to be here. 
Yeah, I'm excited to have you uh, on the podcast. Uh, before we get started, tell us a little bit about Shauna. Well, I um, grew up in Seattle. I'm a fourth generation Northwest girl. Um, nice. My grandparents owned the Canoe House on Lake on um, at the University of Washington, um, which is kind of this famous canoe house now. It was in a movie and stuff. Um, so we, yeah, we've got some pretty deep roots in the Northwest and I started working really early. I was 14 years old and I got this really cool job as a ball girl for the Seattle Mariners. And then I've just, I always thought I would leave Seattle, you know, and I never really did. I've just been here my whole career, moved into, I've, I've, I've done quite a few different things. So I've worked at fortune 50 companies, um, in some really neat leadership roles. I got a, some really cool opportunities at a young age. And then I've done some things um, on the political realm, um, just from a volunteer standpoint. I've done a lot of community organizing. I was president of Social Media Club when social media was emerging. So got into the, into the um, social media, digital media world and did a lot of speaking during that time, which was about eight years ago. And then have worked in the startup world um, since then. Um, so kind of moved, kind of just moved into a few different directions and had a lot of different opportunities. Yeah. So, um, with growing up in, in Seattle, what was it like back then for you? Yeah. So I grew up, um, well, first I grew up next to the airport and we had to sell our house cause they put the third runway in. <laughs> So that was interesting, you know, living so close to the airport. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. Um, but when I complain about trains, you're like, no. <laughs> yeah, you're like, you wouldn't believe it. The whole house shakes in the middle of the night. And we lived, we lived as close as you could get to the airport. We were in a 18, oh gosh, 1890s log house of all wow. things. Gosh, I haven't even, that I felt I was scared of the house because there was a lot of dark places in that house and a dark basement. But grew up there, and then we moved to Alki Beach when I was 12 years old, and my family still lives there, and I ended up buying the house next door to where I grew up before coming over to Whidbey Island. So um, I think growing up in Seattle, one thing that I, I do feel like is true is the Seattle freeze over in, you know, on the other side of the water. I do feel like that's, even growing up, I feel like you experience that, where people say, oh, let's get together, and then you know, there's no follow-up. And then when you follow up, they're like, oh yeah, busy that time. And you keep following up and they're always busy. And you're like, well, I thought we were going to hang out someday <laughs> or do barbecue or something. But I don't feel that on, you know, on the islands. And I think that's a really great part of living here and something that I really appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's funny. It's a, um, uh, from what I've heard, I feel like it's a very Pacific Northwest thing to do that. Um, I know it happens everywhere, but like East coast, like they'll just tell you, no, I don't like you. I don't yeah. want to meet with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You live a little too far away or we're in a different, yeah. They'll say something direct. Yeah. 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 So it's always funny. Um, so, okay. So then you, you moved over there. Um, so, okay. You said you started as a ball girl for the manners. How did that kind of come about? Yeah. So that was pretty wild. I was 13 years old and, um, I was really big into sports. So my, my sport was volleyball and I ended up getting a volleyball scholarship. I was really in, in, intense about it, but I also played a lot of other sports and one of them was softball. And so my softball coach pulled me aside. I still don't know why he did this, me and one other girl. And he said, Hey, I've nominated you to be, you know, to the Seattle Mariners. And I'm thinking, what? Like, this isn't, what are you even talking about? And he goes, yeah, they're having ball girl tryouts and it's this weekend and you got to go to, it was the kingdom. I mean, that's how old I am. So you got to go to the kingdom. If anybody who's listening even remembers the kingdom. And, um, so I show up and there was like 400 girls there with their mitts. Like everybody's ready to go. It's high pressure, high intensity. And they didn't have the, I don't know if anybody remembers the kingdom, but they used to have um, turf on it. Well, the turf was not on there. It was cement. They had pulled up the turf because they were replacing it. So we had tryouts on the cement of the kingdom. I still oh can't word. believe this. So somebody was on the other side hitting balls at us and we would, they were just looking at for our ability. So we had to, sh it was, it was like a, like a tryout, you know, for like a sports team. And I remember, and they also hit pop flies at us, which I don't understand why they did that because 
you, you don't want to catch a pop fly on the field, you know? So I was, <laughs> always thought that was funny. And then I remember one girl broke her finger at tryouts and it was like very dramatic and she was crying and she was still wanted to participate because she didn't want to take herself out of the running. I mean, this could have been a, a reality TV show. This was, <laughs> this was wild. And they only chose six of us. And somehow I got the call that I got through and I just felt like I won the lottery because, wow. you know, it was really neat. So I worked, oh, you know, oh, oh gosh, when they were in town, I worked every game. So I was all of a sudden almost working full time at 14 years old. So when I started, I was 14 and I worked there until I was 21 years old. And the really neat thing about that is I got a chance to work in every department of the Mariners and also helped open Safeco Field. So I got this like incredible experience in business when I was like, I, sh- I had no, bi- you know, I was too young to do anything, but I was just like, you know, taking it all in and I kept volunteering to do new things. I worked in merchandising. I even one time was um, this for actually for a lot of time, one of my jobs was security for the Mariner Moose. Okay. And so like oftentimes drunk guys would come up and try to, you know, punch the moose or something. And I was the security when I was 16 years old. So I had to figure out what, what, you know, like, how do I get this guy off? And, um, there was so many cool things that we got the chance to do and just got to know every nook and cranny of the field. And it was when Ken Griffey Jr. was there and when, you know, 95, when, I mean, I have so many Mariner stories. I was on the field during that game in 95 when they did the big Oh gosh, I feel like I'm, if, if anybody even remembers this, but everybody did the big pile on at the playoffs. And yeah. um, so there's a lot of like really, really neat memories at the Mariners. Yeah. That's awesome. How did you kind of go from ball girl into all of these different positions with the Mariners? Yeah. And I think one of the neat things about when I like reflect on my career is I, if you can get, and I, you know, I, I mentor a couple of folks and I kind of share these things. If you can get your foot in the door somewhere and then just work really hard, you know, at your first job. So when I was there, I mean, I got a chance to like pe- people throughout the first pitch who were celebrities and, you know, business people were there. I got a chance to meet so many different types of people. And so from the Mariners, I got a job working at Fox sports net, which then was, you know, root sports, which was the one that carried the Mariners. And then I got a chance to again, like work really hard. I got a chance to work on the contract with the Seattle Mariners and the TV station at the time. And just, I've always kind of, because I've, I've figured out how to like get in the right place at the right time. You know, I got my foot in the door now. How do I get to do this thing that I want to do? And I just keep asking and volunteering and you can almost like, it's an interesting thing, you know, even before owning your own business, you can kind of write your own job if you go for those things that you want to go for within whatever company you're in by just, networking, you know, getting to know people and then volunteering to help, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I just kept doing that in my career, which, you know, that first job at the Mariners led to all of the other positions that I had. And I just feel, you know, really lucky that I, that somehow I made it through that, that tryout. <laughs> yeah. So, so a question I have on that, because I think this comes up a, a decent amount when it comes to either running a small business, starting a business, startup world. Um, do you feel that that is a a path that anybody can take? Or do you feel that uh, looking retrospectively at yourself, do you feel that you have certain skill sets that allow you to do that better than maybe the average person that, that just tries to jump in at any point and work really hard? Yeah, I think I, maybe it's a little bit of both, but I do feel like anyone can do it. I, rem- I remember when I was graduating college and I was thinking about what was next and I was looking up companies that I'd want to work for. And I was reaching out on LinkedIn and via Twitter DM because, you know, now I guess we're moving over to threads or other, you know, other, um, blue sky is another one, but you can send direct messages in some of these and reach out to people. And, you know, what I would do is I would compliment them. I would say, I'm, I'm so impressed at what you've done in your career. And this is something I'm really interested in. Can I have 10 minutes and buy you coffee and just learn a little bit more about it. And so I would find, if I didn't already know the person, I would find ways to reach out and make it really easy for them. And I don't think that just applies to getting positions. I think it applies to kind of anything that you want to do, even as a business owner. But um, I think anyone can do that. It's just kind of knowing the right way to do it so you're not, so you can get a response, you know, because if it feels like too big of an ask, you're probably not even going to get a response. Um, But I did quite a bit of that, or I would... um, 
I mean, I've always, I just took a personality, you know, a sort of learn about yourself test. And one of the things actually through leadership would be, which is a really neat program through um, Skagit. um, That's kind of our whole area, I believe has these, has these leadership programs. And so I recently did one and part of it was um, having a coach and I, you know, did a test about myself and one of the things was off the charts was this community building and helper kind of angle. And so I think that um, I already kind of, I kind of have had that growing up, but anybody can cultivate that. If you want to you know, get anywhere, if you want to get any type of opportunity or job, or if you're a small business owner and you want to get something done, I mean, you have to figure out how to have that skill, right? To, you know, make the call, you know, yeah. go out of, go out of your comfort zone. Sometimes it's, I mean, it's always out of my comfort zone. I remember even back in those earlier days when I was reaching out on LinkedIn and getting a response from somebody who's basically just like, sorry, you don't look like you might be, you know, fitting any of our positions can't meet with you. And I was like, Oh, and I'd be like bummed out for two days, you know, but you just, once you get through that, then you're okay with the, you know, the failures big and small that kind of come your way and you just got to kind of persevere. So I yeah. mean, there's a few things to that, but I think the the networking, I mean, everything that I've done has happened through a, a network and having a chance to meet other people who are caring about the same things. Yeah. So with that, because um, I think I've, I've heard, you know, the advice of like reaching out to people and stuff like that before. And when people are told that, are you like, when you reach out to someone, is it something where you would do it multiple times? Or would you just try and interact with them multiple times in different ways? Or how would you say, like, how do you do that? So you're also not bugging this person that you really admire. Because uh, I always feel like if I send one message and they don't respond, I'm like, well, that was it. I'm not done. I'm not doing anymore. Yeah. No, that's a great point. So one of the things I try to do when I reach out is I try to think about how this can be beneficial for them, which I'm, I know you do too, Brandon. You're so good at this. But um like I'm thinking about um, even on would be like Melanie Bacon, who is, um, you know, one of our, you know, kind of oversees the island, you know, from elected official standpoint. And, you know, she's got things she cares about. I recently talked with her. And so if you can look at what um, what they care about and try to align your interests. And usually if I'm doing something, even, you know, when I was working in marketing at companies, I would always try to like, I don't like the salesy marketing. I want to do something that helps you. So how can I help you? And how can I make sure you know I'm helping you? Yeah. And that gets a bit. And then if you also have a time limit to it and make it real easy, you know, if, if they're probably not going to respond, if you can go to them or if you can do a Zoom nowadays, you know, instead. Um, but I will follow up. So I'll try to make sure they understand how it's going to help them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I will follow up once or twice, but, you know, but not in a way that's like salesy. I think I'll just say, Hey, you know, I've only got another week to work on this and I really want to get your input. You know, I think it could be helpful for your business, something will help for your business or whatever. Um, any chance you can talk today. Oh, and then also doing it as fast as you can. Cause if you put it off, the momentum's gone. So I always try to, if I'm trying to get something done, like, let's do it right now. Can you jump on the phone right now for five minutes or got, you know, or if I can get a text, you know, this is another thing which might be a side note, but all of the um, last two companies that I've worked on, I have t- figured out a way to use text message. And I was on the, N- the local NPR board, and that was one of the things I was pushing for, text message. If you can do text message and if you can do it in a way that doesn't, that's not like spammy or salesy, but actually more of a conversational way, um, that's been really, really beneficial too, because it's hard to stand out in email and uh, people aren't using Twitter as much as they used to be. <laughs> yep. Yep. And now, now Reddit's on the chopping board too. I'm like, Oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Losing everything. <laughs> we have to learn everything again. <laughs> right. All right. So, um, so you've actually had a lot of experience working with, uh, obviously we talked about the Mariners, but you've also had uh, experience working with large companies such as Google, Warner brothers, animation, Nordstrom, what are things that stood out to you working with companies at that scale and that size? Um, and, and what did you learn from that? Yeah. Well, you know, when you work at a big company, I think half of the 
you know, depending on where you're working, half the role is your domain expertise and your practical work. And half of the work is making sure that the other departments, you know, you're getting along with the other departments. So there's sort of this internal networking or internal politics that you have to manage, you know, within budgeting and, I mean, really across the board. Um, and so one of the things I think I learned at those companies was um, a lot about strategy because they really have it down. You know, they've, they have a lot of time and resources to spend on strategy. And as a small business, you often don't, you know, mm-hmm. you kind of got to be doing it in the background while you're doing everything else. Like, oh yeah, I got to like, you know, this is kind of how we need to approach this. And I need to sit down and like, think about that for five minutes in between, you know, doing payroll and <laughs> everything else, you know, taking the garbage out or whatever else needs to be done. So um, I really did learn a lot about strategy <clears throat> and about, you know, networking to get things done and, making sure that um, if you want to get something pushed through, it's hard to do it on your own. You need support. And so those are some, and then, you know, for the Mariners, just back to that first job that I had, you know, for seven years, you know, my first job, I think learning how the whole organization works together. What does that look like when merchandising and baseball operations and customer service and the security guards and, you know, because I got a chance to kind of see all of that. Like, how how do they all interact and how do you build? the? That kind of leads up to probably the biggest thing, which is culture, you know, and even small businesses <clears throat> like ours, the culture starts from day one and it starts from the top. And then as you hire more and more, it's hard to maintain that, you know, depending on who you hire. But I, I think those are things that I learned in big companies, you know, working in big companies. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that word culture, um, how did you see these bigger companies try and implement that and try and keep a healthy, positive culture moving in one direction? Because that's, that's really hard, like you said, when you have that many people. Yeah, it's really hard. You know, I think one thing that we do, we don't do as much at small businesses is actually just write it down. So what are the, you know, what's your vision? What's your mission? What are the tenants? You know, if, even if you think about, I'm always in, still inspired by Patagonia, you know, even though I've never worked there, I don't have any direct experience there, but how they, they moved their, you know, their mission and vision statement to, I think it's do no harm to the earth, right? Or we're, we're in the business of helping our home planet um, yeah. is their mission statement. And then everything comes from that, you know? And so that's such a good example because it's so simple. They're not talking about clothing in that they're talking about this higher level. They're in it for a higher level and how they do it comes through clothing and sourcing and how they, you know, the materials and everything. So I, I, I think, um, you know, to, sim- to maybe oversimplify it, having that, having a simple mission and then building everything from that, um, as well as, you know, how do you think about hiring? You know, there's a, it kind of goes all the way down to the hiring rubrics. When you interview somebody, even as a small business, or even if it's just one person you're going to be working with, you can have that, like, what was their attitude like? Did they speak negatively in the interview about others? You know, sometimes that's a red flag, not always. But looking at their attitude and how they respond, because how they respond to you as their first impression is how they're going to respond to others. And um, I even still struggle with that because I always try to assume the best intentions of everyone. And so, you know, but really looking at who you're hiring for culture is, I think, probably one of the, you know, most important one or two things that you can do as a company. Yeah. Well, and that's definitely something we've learned over time is we hire the person, not for skills, um, because skills can always be learned. Well, normal, mostly skills can be learned. There are people that can't, but most of the time, <laughs> Uh, you hire for culture fit more than you hire for technical skills because technical skills, if they have the right personality and culture fit, they'll, they'll typically be the right person to learn those, those skills. Uh, yeah. And so I love that. That was, yeah, that's something we've, we've tried to focus on and, and we're in a, um, in a, a business that has a lot of turnover just naturally because we've got people that are moving on to college or moving into career positions or retiring or, um, you know, so trying to maintain that team culture and that, that feel when you have that turnover is really important. Yeah. And how many team members do you have, Brandon? We have between 25 to 30, uh, you oh, know, wow. during the winter, we, we, it trims down a little bit. Um, but during the summer we get up to that around 30 or so. And, and obviously not all of those are full time. Um, but, uh, yeah, just cause you think people are always taking vacations and things are happening. So you need a lot of coverage. Yeah. 
And that probably changed for you. I mean, maybe after five or six, you realized, okay, now we really have to hire for culture fit because you can't, you know, it's like they're helping to really build the whole culture at that point, right? When you're that big. Yeah, exactly. And and when you have that many people, new people coming in, I mean, like this today, I've got a, I've got three people we're doing orientation with and, and possibly a fourth. Um, that's a, a big influx of new people. How do you make it so that when you, these people enter into your culture, they're, they're buying into what you're doing, not the other way around. Yeah. Uh, and that, that, you know, there's so many pieces within that of being intentional with, um, you know, uh, I'm a big follower of, uh, entree leadership, which is Dave Ramsey's like their business side. Uh, and one of their sayings is to be unclear is to be unkind. So if someone's not performing or there, there's certain things that we're seeing, we'll sit down and we'll talk with them and be direct with them and say, Hey, these are things that need to be addressed if we're going to continue on in this working relationship. Um, yeah, so. I love that. We should do another podcast someday on, in, in some point on, or just a discussion on culture. Cause that's, I love Absolutely. hearing that. Yeah. I, I do think that's one of the most important pieces in building a team. I, the, the other thing they'll, they'll talk about is, um, you know, people are going to be your highest highs and your lowest lows because when, when you have that team member that succeeds and does that thing that they didn't know they could do, like you get to celebrate with them and you get to be there. But when you have to finally make that decision to let someone go, it is the hardest thing, you know, and it doesn't yeah. get easier no matter how many times you do it. Yeah. So. Very and cool. you have, sometimes you have to do it, you know, yes, you can't, put, you can't put that off. Yeah. I, I, I hear you on that one. Yeah. That actually was probably the hardest lesson I had to learn it when it came to management and stuff like that. One of my first hires, uh, I, I like had a tale of two hires. Uh, one of them was amazing. She was just off the bat. Like she was, I think 15 or 16 when we hired her, but she was like, you know, 15 going on 25. Like she was very mature, responsible. And then we hired another gal at the same time, about the same age. And, um, the one did so well, the other one didn't, and we couldn't get the other one to kind of get over that hump. And I was like, well, it's a temporary position, a seasonal position. So we'll let her stay on till the end of the season. Um, well, well, I found out by the end of the season, the other team members in that department, they had to always like make up for her because she wasn't uh, doing the rest of the work. Uh, so my, my good employees or team members were having to pick up the pieces from my team member that wasn't doing her work. And I then realized this is one, it's on me. I, I made the decision to try and let it right out to the end of summer so that there wasn't drama. Uh, but instead I put this giant burden on my other team members in that department because they had to keep making up the, for the work. And so if you don't work through, you know, again, give them the chance, talk with them. But if they don't take that turn and take that next step, you have to make that decision earlier than, than later because otherwise the rest of your team suffers. Yeah. That is such is, a, it's hard. Yeah, for sure. And such a hard learning I mean, it's, yeah, it's like the last thing that you want to do is let someone go. But then in that context, you're, you, you know, it's such a good shining the light on what actually happens and what the downside is of not taking action. Yeah. 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 And, and one of the things too, is standing out over time, I've learned too, that there's just people, everyone is fit for a different position, a different, whether that's a company or a position. And just because they're not successful with you does not mean they're not going to be successful somewhere else. We've had people that did not swing it here. And I know that later on they were working someplace and they were doing really well. Um, and so it's not any indictment on them as a person or a human. It's just, it's not a good fit for what we need them to do. Yeah. So that helps kind of depersonalize it, but it doesn't, doesn't necessarily make it easier. Still. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so True. you've been involved, like I said, on, with these big companies, um, but you've also been on the flip side, the like complete opposite end of the spectrum there and worked on like really brand new startups and stuff like that. Um, how did your experience differ from being involved in with you know, corporations versus like startups such as like Decide and some of these other smarter, smaller startups? Yeah. Yeah. Decide was, was a fun one. I mean, that was, that company was a tech startup and it was third, 28 people when I joined 
So I think I went, you know, I went from leaving Nordstrom where I had a, you know, I was just in a leadership role where I had a team that was working on digital uh, media, um, kind of all different parts of social media analytics. You know, I had a, I was basically just supporting a team and it decide, you know, I was, you know, a Swiss, a Swiss army knife of doing all of those <laughs> things at a small scale. And, um, really like the one doing things, you know, I had, a, I did end up having a team of two and then some direct reports, which were data scientists that I'd never, you know, I'd never had on my team before. So that was neat. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of just taking, you know, like you said, kind of taking who you are, taking your strengths and applying them to a, you know, to a slightly different environment and then remembering like, okay, how do I, how do I actually do the things that my team was doing? You know, even though I still have the same title now with such a small team, um, I'm doing a lot of it. And I remember one of the things we had a lot of success with at Decide was, um, media. We were really good. We had this whole thing about sleep in on black Friday and we showed why prices were higher on black Friday than they were actually like two weeks beforehand and kind of like took away all the myths of the black Friday, you know, some things are actually a good deal, but there was a lot of things that weren't, it was kind of a marketing ploy. And, um, I had to make a lot of phone calls. Speaking of like following up, I had to make a lot of phone calls to the media, but once I got in, we ended up on CBS this morning, um, today show NBC, New York, we had multiple, um, features in the New York times. And so our, we really started to do well with media and as a small startup, you don't have a big budget. So I just focused on that was, I I leaned into that and that was what I focused more on instead of some of the other like email marketing and some of the other things, because, you know, when you're at a smaller startup or, you know, a small business, you can't do everything. So you got to use your strengths and kind of realize what those are and don't feel bad about not doing everything, you know? Right. Yeah. And it's funny, you're talking about what uh, about Black Friday and stuff, but we're recording this on like the midst of Prime Day right now, and, and all <laughs> yeah. the stuff craziness going on with that. So true, yeah. And even Prime Day, I'm kind of you know with that decide experience. I was looking yesterday at something <clears throat> for our school on Whidbey Island, and it said lowest price in 20 days. And I was like, it's neat that they're at least calling that out because it's not the lowest price it's ever been. It's yeah. just the lowest price in the last month. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and a lot of them, you know, as you get into that world, they'll create new item listings and stuff like that. Like they'll get very, very complex in there. And, uh, I did, I did Amazon selling for a, for a hot minute. um, Oh yeah. Just doing a little bit of that. But as you start learning the, you know, when you're on one side, they're teaching you the tips and tricks of things to do. And so then when you're shopping later, you're like, wait, they, they just do all these different things to manipulate (laughs) certain things that, that make you think like, the average consumer is like, oh, yeah, that seems like a good idea or a good deal or whatever. And it might not be. Yeah. It's crazy. It really is. It really is. Yeah. So um, so then also with uh, with working with the the startups, um, what was that like for you working with because uh, you worked with a venture group, if I'm correct, right? Yeah. So then after um, Decide, I ended up working at um, Startup Weekend, which is an organization that helps if, you know, if anybody's interested in doing a tech startup you can go to these weekend events and um, pitch your idea or join a team. And so I, I did that and it was really neat because we got to launch Startup Weekend in a bunch of other countries. <clears throat> They're in 35 countries now and part of Techstars. And then the band got back together, the Decide.com team got back together at Madrona Venture Group. So Madrona is um, the first they're kind of known to be the first investor in Amazon back in the day. So 25 years ago, 26 years ago. (laughs) So they are also the biggest venture firm in the Northwest. So they have a lab and at the lab, it was folks trying to figure out how to start the next big company. And um, so I got a chance to work there um, with the, you know, with some of the same people from decide um, for a couple years before starting weekdays. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. So, um, with when when you're in in kind of the startup world and you're seeing these startups come in and out um, and you're seeing a lot of people come in, you see the founders, you see these different pieces. Um, uh, over time, do you find kindly kind of get like a sixth sense of different businesses that you feel like you're like this one is going to actually become something, or this one is probably <clears throat> not going to make it? 
Yes, for sure. I think the sixth sense though is developed a little bit by data, you know, knowing that over time, continually looking at the data, what's happening in, you know, what's happening in the insurance. We, we covered a lot of different industries at Madrona, but, um, you know, what's happening in the real estate industry, you know, what's happening. And then you're kind of looking and also knowing <clears throat> the sixth sense also happens when you know what other technologies are also being developed at the same time when you have that insight. Mm. So we, you know, we're pretty close with Zillow. So we knew what they were working on or what they need, you know, what they needed, like, what are the, what are the tech areas that maybe they won't build out, but they need, yeah. and, you know, we were kind of in contact with them a few times about that, which was neat. But yeah, so that's as well as I will say, um, and we talked a little bit about this earlier in the um, podcast, but a big part of a startup success, and I think this also applies to small businesses, is the founder. Yeah. Because the company usually won't, you know, there's very few times where you start out as a tech startup and you're the same company, you know, a year or two or three years later. <clears throat> and that's true for almost every tech startup. Like you think about Airbnb, I mean, really like Facebook, like all of the big ones are obvious examples, but even all of the, you know, more recent ones too started as something a little bit different. And then you realize once you're in it, you realize, oh, the real opportunity in this industry is this, you know, cause we're getting a lot of traction with this. This is yeah. kind of, um, and, and also maybe we're really good at doing that so we can fill that need. Um, so the founder, when I was talking to tech startups and figuring out like who we were going to accept for our accelerator program and who we were going to work with, a big part of it is that interview with the founder, like listening to, you know, do, do they have the drive? Do they have the perseverance? Do they have the, you know, are they, are they a fixed mindset or do they have a growth mindset where they're going to be looking for the opportunity? One of the biggest things that I saw, um, and I think this kind of applies to small businesses too, or even brick and mortar is like, you go in thinking that this is it and you're not willing to change anything. No, it has to be this. And that is not true. <laughs> if you want to be successful, you know, you have yeah. to figure out a way to get past that. And a lot of people can't, or don't, you know, don't get the coaching or the training to be able to just open up their mind and see that, like, I mean, even for the school we have on Woodby, you know, we opened with a preschool class and now we're moving into a younger kids class because that's where the need is. Yeah. But that wasn't ever my goal starting out. You know, I would have, uh, I, I, you know, I wanted this to be on the older preschool side and, um, so that's kind of just a small example, but I think you can always, you're always, you should always be looking at where does my, where does the need fit my interest level and my expertise level? Yeah, so. absolutely. So, so with that, this is somewhat of a tangent. Um, do you think that Apple vision will catch on or do you think it's just a cool piece of technology <laughs> or do you think it's a cool piece of technology? I think it's, I mean, Gosh, it's been hard, you know, somewhat hard to follow Apple for a while now because usually their their big um, unveils weren't as exciting as they used to be. But I do think this one <clears throat> is going to be really fun to watch. I mean, when Apple goes all in on something, I think it's worth, you know, really following and figuring out then what are the tangential, what are the, what are the adjacent opportunities with this if it were to take off? Um, yeah. Yeah, what do you think? I'm curious to hear what you think. <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of different uh, <laughs> tech people. Um, I do think the technology. I mean, the when I saw the 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 presentation, and you look at the technology behind it, it's an incredible piece of hardware. Uh, it is something where you're like, this is like Ready Player One level. Like, it's something that I didn't think would be out yet. Um, on that flip side, there's the there's the like. I guess nerd factor or whatever of people won't use something that makes them look either ridiculous or, um, you know, in my head, I was looking at like computationally, you're kind of locked into what the Apple vision hardware can do. If it was a way that it connected. So your computer was your power. So then you hook it up to your MacBook pro or even the Mac pro, you would have almost infinite computing power. So then who knows what you could do, but it's locked into itself. Um, and it can access some of the other power, but not like directly. Um, so I think from like a, a 3d modeling or engineering perspective, like I think you're going to run against its limitations pretty quick. Yeah. Um, but I, I love the idea of it. I just, and, and then the price tag, of course, uh, which when you, again, when you look at the hardware, it's incredible, but it's, it's, it's expensive for someone to just be like, yeah, I'm willing to test that. Like $3,500 yeah. is not something you just test. Yeah. So that's true. Yeah. 
but yeah, yeah so I'm, I'm excited to see how it how it goes um i am still tempted to get one but i'm also like can I convince my wife that $3,500 is okay to test something with? And do you want to get one this early? Cause it, yeah, it, it's going to be then, you know, continually changing. Right. Yeah. And the bugs and all the stuff that they'll have to work through. So it'll be interesting. I I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes, but uh, I'm not, unfortunately I'm not too hopeful that this is, this is it. Yeah. Um, Awesome. So, um, so I saw that uh, weekdays was started through the venture group that you were working with. Um, what was it about weekdays that made you think I'm ready to just pour my full time into this? Yeah, well, I knew I, you know, when I was at the venture firm, I knew I had one more, one or two more startups that I, you know, I had, I, I didn't want to just be on the venture side. I wanted to get my hands dirty and get like, start building again and, and actually do what I was helping others do. And as we looked across industries, you know, we really kind of, one of the things we did is we took a data-driven approach and then we got experts in the room across different industries to brainstorm what the opportunities were. That was a regular practice. And, um, the early child education, you know, slash childcare industry is, as you might know, like one of the most broken in the, you know, in the country, it was just so, it looked so bad. I mean, (laughs) the need, the customer need and the supply and demand were so far off. And, you know, there's a childcare desert in the United States where more than half of the country has three times as many kids as there are spots available. And also, you know, my belief was this should be free, (laughs) but it's not, you know, right preschool should be free. It should, we shouldn't, but, but it's not. So right. what the are the opportunities? For that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can't, can't do it all. Right. But, um, so two, it was actually two, um, guys that I work with. So I was, uh, at that point I had a three-year-old and I was pregnant with, I was seven and a half months pregnant with my, um, now three-year-old Dylan and I remember sitting in the office and two guys that I worked with came over and they were like all excited. And they're just like, all right, all right, Shauna, we got something for you. Let's sit down. And like, we're in this co- little conference room and they're like, they gave me this pitch on what was happening, you know, cause they had looked at this, this industry and, um, and they said, we've already come up with a plan and basically built the, the foundation of, you know, we've kind of got the foundation of a company and we think you should lead it as CEO. And I was like, <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> thanks for thinking of me. And then, you know, probably two weeks longer of conversations and digging more into the industry myself and, you know, being so passionate as a new parent, I thought, yeah, let's, you know, this is, this looks really hard, but let's figure it out. And, uh, I launched, so I had my, <laughs> I went from VC meeting straight into the hospital to be induced with my son. And oh, then I only think I took a week off <laughs> and then launched weekdays like with $200,000, I left the venture firm and, um, so got some funding and then that was October, 2019. So several months later, the pandemic hit. Wow. So that was, um, just a wild, I mean, never, it's like, you can't write something that would happen that that's cra- that crazy that you're in an industry that's directly impacted by the pandemic. Cause we pivoted, speaking of pivots, we pivoted to be school age children so that our technology could help all of the people across the country who's when schools shut down. Yeah. So for those of uh, my listeners, and I, I suspect there's quite a few who don't know exactly what weekdays is, could you describe what it is? Yeah. And so what it, what it was at that point was it was um, sort of the Airbnb of schooling. So if you wanted to start a home-based school, you would have the tech platform for a website, you'd have a payment platform, you'd have a communication text message platform. So if you've used Airbnb, it was pretty much exactly the same as that. Um, and you could start a school as long as you were background checked and everything, which we would help with, you know, in a matter of a week, everything set up, um, you know, even help with, with licensing requirements and stuff. So, um, we started with early child education, preschool. And then when the pandemic hit, all of a sudden there was this need for, you know, ev- basically every school, there was millions and millions of kids across the country who were out of school and parents who didn't know what to do. So <laughs> we kind of helped with these pandemic pods is what they were called at the time. Um, but we called them micro schools. And so we were the tech platform for home-based micro schools. And, um, 
then, you know, and then it's been interesting because now that the pandemic has come to an end, um, we've really transitioned into brick and mortar. And so we have a school on Woodby Island, which is a brick and mortar school. Um, it's a really neat schoolhouse right next to the ferry in Clinton. Um, and, uh, and, you know, really have transitioned into more of like an old school, small business. Okay. After that. Yeah. So it was really neat that we could help, but I didn't want to, you know, my vision wasn't to compete with the public schools and start like a homeschool movement. That wasn't, you know, my focus. So it was really yeah. neat that we could help during the pandemic. And, you know, we, we got a lot of media and like had a, like we were up 24 hours a day, basically just like helping people get set up. But, um, but then it was one of those businesses where you make the trade off. If that's what you're going to focus on, then when schools open back up, you know, it's, you know, you're going to lose your customer base. Right. <laughs> so, right. So what, what does, uh, what does weekdays look like today then? Yeah. So today it's a, it's a brick and mortar school and on Woodby, and we do still have some, um, preschools set up through the platform, um, and honestly, I'm trying to figure out what's next with that. Do we continue to focus on the small home-based preschools and offer that as an option? Or um, do we just focus on this location and then potentially, you know, launching in other places of Woodby and Camino and, you know, north, you know, sort of Bellingham area for brick and mortar schools? So that's, yeah. we're just investigating that right now. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh what would you say is, uh, speaking of missions, and it sounds like it's changed a lot, uh, do you guys have like a mission statement or do you guys have like a, a mission that you guys see as the mission for weekdays? Yeah, you know, the reason we started was to um, make childcare accessible and in your in local to your neighborhood so that we you could think about a school, you know, on every other block, almost like Airbnb, you know, in your neighborhood, you can look and you can see that there's micro schools, which would be eight children or less. Usually it's a lot less like four or five or six of nannies, preschool, former, former preschool teachers, former teachers, you know, anyone who wants to start a home-based business, because you can start these small pod, you know, small groups and make, you know, $80,000, uh, you know, it's totally different. Like you can, you can make much more than you could at a preschool, like teaching at a preschool, if you have the space and you want to open up your own home to a small group, because you don't have the overhead yeah. and you're not paying for the building. You're not paying for all those, you know, all of that overhead. You're just paying for, you know, basically insurance, um, and then any supplies that you need at your own home to, to run it, you know, and make sure you have the space. So, um, so that, uh, so the, the mission was initially like, how can we make sure that any child who wants to go to preschool can go to preschool in their own neighborhood and through like a safe vetted, um, spot. And so it's, right. <clears throat> you know, that's still, that is still our mission. Although now I'm moving more to, you know, away from tech into brick and mortar here on, on would be, you know, it looks a little different cause we actually have a, it's a commercial school building, yeah. um, but the other, the other one is really focused on the importance of, and, you know, I don't have a succinct um, sentence for it, but it's pretty close to Patagonia's because, you know, when, when we think about what's needed for kids in the future, they will need to be good stewards of, you know, this earth and of all the resources. Yeah. And in my spare time, I'm an orca whale researcher. And so I'm really passionate about the environment and what's happening with our oceans in particular and really inspired by this place that we are in on Woodby, which is why I was so excited to be here to start um, the brick and mortar part of our business, because, you know, we're all growing up at the beaches. We're growing up, you know, seeing the humpback whales. We're seeing what's happening, you know, slowly over time. But um, so all of the learning that we have, not only for our brick and mortar school, but for the ones that are using our tech platform is focused on nature-based learning. So if we can okay. do it through nature, we do all of our themes are focused on nature, the learning, you know, when you talk about learning letters, all kinds of different things, we do that through um, lessons we can learn from, you know, from our environment and from nature. So um, you could almost think of us as like, we're not associated with Patagonia in any way, but like, we're like the preschool that came out of Patagonia. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Very cool. Um, yeah, and and uh, there's there's definitely a lot of work being done in that direction from a tourism side of like the transformational travel and all of that side. Um, I'm assuming you are well aware of all the stuff going on with this, but um, what are your what have you like 
in maybe in research and stuff, what have you kind of thought about all the stuff going on with orcas and, and what they're doing in, uh, I think it's uh, northern, is it Greenland, uh, off the shores where they're taking out the, the boats? And, and apparently there's been a new, that happening 2,000 miles away. So a new yeah. pod is doing it. And then I think, a, I don't know if it was a gray whale or, or another whale also did something similar. Yeah, well, oh my gosh, orcas are so amazing and fascinating and they're very social. You know, they are matriarchal, so they um, learn from their moms and stay with their moms. And um, and it's just fascinating to see this is another, they, they have their own culture, which is really fascinating. So they learn things, they, you'll see some of them doing, um, you know, they, they, so for instance, the J-Pod, you know, eats salmon, Chinook salmon, they don't eat, um, you know, other things that other orcas eat. It's very, there's a culture of a way of like hunting and doing all kinds of different things. So when something is part of their culture, which, which it's, this is a great example of that. Some, something probably happened, I'm guessing at some point where a, you know, a boat may have done something and, you know, something started, you know, behavior started and then they taught, they, they're teaching it to each other. Yeah. And what we don't, there's still so much we don't know about, like, how do they speak to other pods? How do they interact? How does, how do they, how do they teach each other that aren't in the same pod? Because, because what we're seeing right now is just another example of how smart they are and how social they are and how they do have their own culture. And, um, you know, it's hard to know what happened or what triggered that, but what we're seeing the response to that is fascinating because we already have seen all these stories and heard all these stories and, and seen the behavior throughout history of them, you know, helping, um, you know, in different ways, helping humans or, you know, and, and dolphins too. Um, yeah. and so now we're seeing something, you know, on the other side where they're, you, you know, they have a reaction and a response to this certain type of boat. Right. So That's it's the other really fascinating. Thing, is that yeah. it doesn't, it's not that they're hitting like the fishermen boat or the small boats that seem to be, have been doing it for years and kind of work with nature. It's to like the yachts and the things where there's, I, you know, I don't know. It's all speculation, but it's like the ones that they see are just there to, to, to take and not, not give back. Um, it seems like yeah. the kind of smaller boats, they don't seem to, to go after. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's fascinating. And I, I think, I still think, I don't think they've actually attacked any of the humans, even when they've tried to sink the boats, they're not trying to harm the human. They're just trying to get rid of the boat. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. And you know, sometimes I don't think this is in this case, but sometimes they do things because it's like a, a form of play. Um, one of the, we were out on a boat, um, outside, um, Friday Harbor last month and we were, um, you know, fall, we were watching an orca, um, two orcas, um, from the, the Biggs family and they were playing with this crab pot and they went underground and they went and got it. And then it was a whole crab pot line. Right. So they, they, and then they had it on their fin and then they like went around and they weren't stuck in it. You could tell they were disconnecting and then connecting and then going back to it and like bumping it. And, um, and then they, oops, sorry. And then they dragged it. Oh gosh, a ways. And then you, and then you could tell they weren't stuck in it because then they just got out and then they went back to it and were like bumping it again. And this is the type of behavior that you do see with orcas, you know, as you watch and you watch how playful they are and how, social they are you know they were doing it together it was almost like two kids just playing throwing a ball around or something yeah um so it's really neat to to see how you know how similar they are in many ways to us you know and and that they do have that culture and that yeah but gosh i wish we could know more about why this is happening and really know the full story yeah yeah very cool so um so we talked kind of about uh weekdays and where it's at right now. Um, so as far as the future of weekdays, what do you kind of hope for it? Um, you know, as, as you move forward? Yeah. I I mean, I hope that, you know, we're already starting to see this. Um, one of our, one of our classes was uh, on Alki beach and it was an outdoor preschool class and they spent the last several years throughout the pandemic. And then up until they just, this class just graduated, um, learning about, you know, there's an old growth forest near Alki beach and then they were at Alki beach. Um, and so they were learning a lot about the history of, you know, of Alki and, um, you know, 
just all kinds of, you know, they had spotted orcas several times, you know, when or time of year when orcas come down and they just had so many different experiences where they had, they had a, a, a level of self-confidence. I don't think you have, if you're in a preschool where you're stuck in this little tiny area and, um, and, uh, you know, can't go outside very much. And they also, so sort of this like independent ability to, you know, make their own decisions, to exercise their own um, minds in a different way, to have that calmness of being in the ocean, in, in the um, in nature yeah. and being outside. And so all of those benefits that you hoped that you would see, um, I mean, I felt like these kids graduated, you know, and they were more like first graders instead of, you know, graduating preschool because they just felt so mature. And so seeing them go on and what they're going to do, I mean, they're, they're talking about orcas on a regular basis. They're talking about, you know, the old growth trees in Schmitz park on a regular basis. And they have this love and appreciation and, you know, and, and an em- a level of empathy for others and for the environment that I had hoped to see. And so I think, what I'm really excited about is seeing how that translates and, you know, as we, if we're able to continue to launch more schools and what this looks like, how that can translate to this generation who, you know, this is the childhood I wished I had. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I had a great childhood, but I didn't, wasn't, you know, out on the beach in an old growth, you know, forests and, you know, just having this awesome, you know, experience learning so much like that in that way. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And my, my kids are, uh, my wife does a lot of the same kind of thing. She's been, they've been part of a, um, you know, a homeschool nature group for, you know, since they were really young and, um, yeah, they just have that respect. And, and when they hear news stories or they hear people talking like, oh, well, they just need to get rid of that or just do this. Um, my kids will randomly be like, well, if you do that, that'll hurt the salmon. Or if mm-hmm. you do this, it'll do this. And the adult always looks back at them like, what are you like? <laughs> yeah. But they do. I mean, they, they definitely are more knowledgeable on a lot of this stuff than I am. Um, and um, yeah, the, you know, my wife has always been very much in that same boat of we need to pres- we're, we're meant to be stewards of this earth, um, regardless of your, your background or whatever. That's, you know, this is what we've got. So, yeah, I love that. My seven year old just uh, last week said, what if we try not using plastic anymore? <laughs> and I was like, are you serious? That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Let's try it. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. So the first one is what purchase of a hundred dollars or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? Oh gosh. I mean, um, the first thing that comes to mind is coffee. Cause nice. I love coffee. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. me too. <laughs> All right. Who is the most influential person outside of your family in your life? Well, lately it's been, I mean, I'm thinking about somebody I don't know. Sylvia Earle is someone who studies the ocean and the environment and is a hero of mine. And I've been just kind of following her around the internet and following, you know, she's got this really great Netflix special. And um, so I've been like, you know, the crazy fan of hers um, for a while. And um, David Attenborough, you know, is another favorite. So those are two, I don't know either of them, but those are two that I like wish I knew Yeah, <laughs> in <absolutely>. real life. <laughs> yep. This is a fill in the blank question. It's, I know this is weird, but I've always wanted to blank. Well, it's probably, oh, it's not weird. It's probably what I'm doing where I've always wanted to study the ocean and, you know, become an, an orca researcher. And it's really neat that, you know, in my mid forties, I'm able to do that. <laughs> yeah. That's, that is cool. Um, who's an interesting or fascinating person that I should interview next? Have you already, you've already interviewed Bristol? I haven't. No. So Bristol would be one. Um, there is also this really neat, there's two that, um, we were in the program with when we both worked, um, for would be. And so for all the listeners, um, Brandon and I got a chance to work together, uh, for Woodby and Camino and Skagit, we got to help business owners. And so I know of a few that are really cool, awesome. um, that I've kept in touch with that were in that group that might be interesting to, you know, learn some small business tricks and how they Absolutely. did it and learn about a cool business. Yeah. Yeah. Send me them over later. Cool. Awesome. All right. And lastly, what piece of advice would you give your 20 year old self? 
Oh gosh, my 20 year old self, I think I would, oh wow, this is a big one, but I'd probably say like, don't be afraid of going to therapy and Mm -hmm. like learning more about yourself. Cause I think it took me a while to realize like, Hey, it's okay to admit you're wrong. And it's actually pretty cool because then you can learn a lot. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I wish I would have learned that. Or I was very like, I was very strong and stubborn. I think when I was younger, it took me a while to like get there as far as learning that therapy is actually really cool. It's not anything to, you know, now there's apps and all kinds of different ways you can do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge, huge, uh, pro therapy and, and counseling, uh, person. I think it's, it's something I've just continued to do, uh, for a while. I did it only cause I was like, Oh, I know I need to work through a few things. And then at this point I'm just like, it's just, I just reschedule it when I'm done because it, it there's always things coming up and there's, uh, having that sounding board, having a person that has no, uh, they're just there for you to, to help you work through whatever it is. And you know that whatever you tell them, they're not going to go, Oh, and I just told John this too. And you're like, <laughs> well, why do you tell John that? You know? So, yeah. Or judge you. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Right. They're not. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Yeah. And we'll definitely have to figure out another time to, to dive more into the company culture and some of the other pieces too. For sure. And I mean that. It's not just Seattle, Seattle freeze. Yes. Yeah. Sounds <laughs> I think we good. should. <laughs> All right. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Sean Akazi for joining me on the podcast today. And thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to the show notes uh, or you can go to PaminoCommons.com slash podcast to get a list of all of our episodes. And with that, I will talk to you guys on the next one.